Let's pray, and then we're going to get into our message. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your love. There's no disappointment in your eyes when you look at us. And God, that is a hard truth to believe sometimes. I know when I look at my life and I see how unlovable I am, sometimes I wake up with just such a sour attitude. And when I just am dwelling on my mistakes and failures and all the areas I've yet to really just improve on, the things I'm trying to get around to but just continue to push aside, Lord, you still look at me with such adoration and love. And you want to be close. And I can't get over that sometimes. So thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you that neither height nor depth, no principality or power of darkness, not here above or down below, nothing, no angel nor demon, God, nothing can separate us from your love. And we thank you for it. We worship you, Father. And I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to just continue the work that you've begun. Fill this room. Fill this place. Fill our hearts. Challenge us. Teach us. And empower us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Ooh, I'm so excited for today. This is week three of our series, Go For It. And uh, week one, we really were just talking about, if you've not been with us for the, the series, week one, we discussed that we were created for a relationship with God, but not just a relationship, intimacy with God. That the fulfillment every human desires, that everyone looks for, the reasons why we give ourselves tirelessly to different things in this life, whether it's positive or destructive, is ultimately trying to fill the void that's left in our soul because of a broken relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus came to provide a way for that relationship to be restored, not just so that we can have fire insurance and make it to heaven one day, but so that we can have intimacy with our Father and find the fulfillment that He desires for each one of us every day of our lives. And then week two, we began to shift as we dove into the understanding and the awareness that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are carriers of the presence of God. That if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit resides in you. That means you carry the presence of God wherever you go. And that reality in, in, um, encourages us to not just be aware that we take the presence of God, but understand that through His presence, we have the power to shift the atmosphere in every place, in every environment, in every situation we encounter. That there is something within us. The New Testament says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That means wherever we are, there is a power within us that has the ability to shift the atmosphere wherever we find our feet. And again, we talked about what we experienced this past week. And the reality is God wants to be unleashed into the world. God's presence, God wants his presence unleashed into the world, and he has designed and desires for us to be the ones to release him. I'm so loving our study that we're doing in Life Group on Wednesday nights called Hosting the Presence by Bill Johnson. Uh, again, Chris talked about it a little bit earlier, but God is opening our eyes as to what a privilege it is to be a child of God. It's such a privilege to be his children. 
And one of the truths brought out in this study is something I've known for a long time, but I didn't really consider it this particular way, is what he brought to light in Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The verses will also be on the screen as well as you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. But here's what Genesis 1, 27 and 28 records. It says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. Then, blessed, then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. As a part of God's creative order in the days of creation on day six, God creates his crowning achievement, which is humankind. He created humankind. And what is the first thing God does when he creates mankind? What does it say? It says he blesses them. God creates man. He creates man and woman. The first thing he does is he blesses them. This is so significant. And if we're not careful and we just read right over this, we're going to miss the power and the truth that is being revealed here in the Scripture. The word blessed here is the Hebrew word Barak. Not Obama, but Barak. And this word means to bend the knees or to kneel upon his knees. This is a word also used in worship for adoration. So when we look at the scripture, what's happening here, this is a sign of adoration in honor, much like we would do in worship when we kneel to our knees to praise the Lord. When God creates man and woman, he brings them to life. The first thing he does is barach. He blesses them. This does not mean that God worships man. But it does mean God adores his children. He adores his children. He gets down on our level showing much adoration. Now think of this. Who else was running around at the time of the creation of man and woman. There is someone else involved in the story we see in Genesis chapter 3 when he actually shows up in the story, but we know through Scripture that he had a part that was being played throughout the biblical narrative. There is an enemy that we have. This is Satan, the devil, who we know was the highest angel in heaven prior to his fall. He was the worship leader of heaven. He had a, a coat that was made of precious stone. He was unlike anything else. He had privileges no other angel had. He covered the very throne of God and was able to walk amongst the stones of fire. And we know through Scripture that the thing that brought Satan down is that pride welled up in his heart, and he said, I want to be worshipped. I'll be like the Most High. I'm going to raise myself up among even the stars of heaven, that I'm going to be glorified like God. So if you think about what's happening here, even just in these first words, do you think that maybe the one who thought he should be adored, our enemy, may have gotten a little jealous at these lesser beings that God created who are receiving God's attention, adoration, and affection. Maybe this is why he hates mankind so much. It's because he thought he should be adored by God, but yet God adores mankind. God delighted in us who were lesser beings and did not delight so much in him who was a higher being. 
This term to bend the knee also means, or can also be translated as it is here in the English, to bless. And the question is, what did the father bless his children with? We talked about it last week. What did he bless us with? It was his presence. It was relationship. It was with himself, his adoration and affection. He blessed us with the greatest blessing he could give. He blessed us with himself. We had a relationship our enemy could not touch. And we can't skip over this because this blessing, this, this one word, this one phrase, it governs what happens in the next phrase. Everything flows out of what God does here in this uh, blessing, in this word, Barak. He blesses Adam and Eve with himself, with intimate relationship, with presence. And then he says to them, he instructs them in verse 28. It says, God blessed them and said, be what? Fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and govern it. See, when I would first read this, I would understand, okay, he's telling us to populate the earth. He's telling us to to fill the earth with people. But that's not entirely what's happening here. See, it's out of the blessing that he commands. It's out of relationship that he instructs. It's out of intimacy and adoration and affection that he gives these instructions. And he commands three things. Be fruitful, which means to bear children. Multiply, which means to increase in number or increase greatly. And number three, fill the earth and govern it, which means cover the face of the earth and exercise authority over the earth. Think about this. If God wanted mankind to be clothed in his presence, which we were, and then he wanted us to reproduce, not just reproduce as far as having children, but to multiply to the point that we filled the earth, do you think he wanted us to fill the earth just to have the survival of the human race? Did he want us to be fruitful and multiply just so that the human race could survive? The answer is no. Why? There was no death at this point. We had no fear of not surviving. God provided our food. God provided our lives. He provided everything. There was nothing but perfection and creation at this point in time. There was not a fear of survival that was happening here. So there was something greater. There was a greater issue, a bigger picture happening through these commands. Again, everything flows from that first blessing, that blessing with presence. So if God is telling Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it, and it flows from presence, then what God must have intended is that they would take the blessing that he gave them in the Garden of Eden, and that it was not to stay in the Garden. That that presence was to expand from the Garden, and what happened in the Garden was to cover the whole earth. That the blessing that God gave mankind was to spread across the face of the entire planet. He wanted Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, not for the survival of species, but to fill the earth with people who carried his presence. He wanted his glory to fill the earth. He wanted the planet populated with people who reflected the image of God. Malachi chapter 2 says God wanted godly offspring from every union. If you're a, a husband and wife here, God's purpose in your marriage partially and prominently is for you to raise godly offspring. Why? So that his glory would fill the earth. So not only did God want his glory to fill the earth, but lastly, he tells Adam and Eve to govern the earth. 
to not just fill it, populate it, but to govern it. This means to bring the world into subjection. This is beyond cultivating the ground. We understand that God put Adam and in, in even the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground, to till the, till the earth and bring the, the garden into prosperity. But this is, goes beyond the garden. If God is telling Adam and Eve before death, before sin, to fill the earth and bring it under subjection to the glory of God, then that means the devil had already fallen, and the earth says in the book of Revelation that he took a third of the angels of heaven with him when he rebelled. In Revelation, a third of the angels fell when Satan rebelled against God. So at this point, we know that Satan had to have fallen prior to Genesis 3 when he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. He had to have already been filled with sin and cast to the earth. So it is my belief that Satan, who was this worship leader in heaven, took this band of angels. They were cast to the earth at the time Adam and Eve were commissioned by God. And what God was telling them to bring the earth under submission, that they were to take back the ground that the enemy was falsely occupying. That the enemy had been cast out of heaven, was sent to the earth, and now they had filled the earth with darkness. They had brought a curse upon the earth with their presence. They were exercising rule upon the earth and the planet that they were not uh, right, rightly to occupy. It was the Lord's domain. So what does God do? He gives us both power and authority to take back what the enemy was stealing. And we know what happened. We began to fulfill God's purpose and in Genesis chapter 3, Satan shows up in the garden, tempts Adam and Eve, and we fell. We sinned. And in that sin, that transaction, we handed the keys of authority and power to Satan, giving him what he wanted all along was power and authority. If we look at Jesus' temptation in the New Testament, when G Jesus is tempted by the devil, the devil takes him in one moment to look at all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, these kingdoms have been given to me, and I can give them to whoever I wish. How could he do that if he wasn't given power and authority? See, what was ours in our creation, what was our commissioning, our purpose, was to bring light in the presence of God around the globe to exercise God's authority and dominion over the planet was surrendered at the moment sin entered into the world. And we gave Satan what he wanted after all. We gave him a people who would worship him and gave him the power and authority to keep us under subjection. But the beauty of the gospel message is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. What Jesus accomplished for us on the cross was the devil's undoing. Hebrews chapter 2 said the devil had the power of death, and Jesus, by shedding his blood, broke the power of the devil, which was the power of death. Jesus came to undo the works of the enemy, to break the curse upon his people. And now, through trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not only restored into relationship with your heavenly Father, but mankind can now once again be reinstated to its original purpose, which is to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. It's through our faith in Jesus, God has once again blessed us with his presence. How? By sending us who? Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to reside in his people, and it's through the Spirit of God, through the power and the authority we have in Jesus Christ, that God is using the church to once again fill the earth with his glory. And how do we do this? How do we fill the earth with his glory? Well, the first step is sharing the gospel, telling people about what Jesus has done. 
leading them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the second way we fill the earth with glory is by reclaiming the surrendered ground the enemy has held for generations. It's twofold. We fill the earth, we multiply, we be fruitful, but then also we bring the world into subjection. We become fruitful by leading people to faith in Jesus, and we reclaim enemy territory by tearing down strongholds. The strongholds that have been keeping people in bondage for so long. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says to the church of Rome, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Did you know that there are some behaviors and customs of this world, some patterns in this broken world that the enemy has instituted so that his plans of stealing, killing, and destroying will continue throughout the earth? Jesus said the enemy has come for one purpose, steal, kill, and destroy. This is what he wants. He wants death to reign on the planet. And he has instituted some behavior, some customs, some patterns that have left this world in shatters and has increased his reach of darkness in the world. But part of the ministry of reconciliation that the church has, one of the reasons why we exist, one of the reasons why we gather together to learn, to worship, and to encourage one another to step out in faith is because God wants to use the church. He wants to use you personally to undo the broken patterns of this world by invading those areas occupied by darkness. And he wants you to invade those areas with the power and glory and light of his presence. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5 says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. The Holy Spirit has not only come in to live inside each of us who profess to be a believer in Jesus just to give us salvation. He's come to fill us with power and has equipped us with powerful gifts that have the ability to undo the strongholds and bondage that the enemy has used to enslave this world. You are so significant in the body of Christ because God has implanted in you the power source to bring somebody else's freedom. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh. We don't fight with guns, swords, knives, and sticks. We fight with the power of God as we unleash it into the world. Paul reveals what these weapons are throughout his writings. Many are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. We otherwise know as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God has given us these gifts to tear down enemy strongholds. Not just to engage people with the heart of God, but to break down the very things that keep people in bondage. The gifts of the Spirit and the love of God, which is the motivator of every gift and the power behind every gift, gives people what they need to bring light and spread His presence. There's nothing that the love of God and the power of His Holy Spirit cannot overcome. Nothing. There's nothing. God's love and the Spirit's healing power can bring breakthrough and wholeness into every life in every situation. And this is what the essence of Jesus' purpose and ministry was here on the earth. It says he was anointed with the Holy Spirit to let the blind see, have the lame walk, to undo those who were oppressed, 
The Father's love was revealed in Jesus. The Spirit worked miracles to confirm the message of Christ. And as Jesus reveals the Father, the Spirit reveals the Son, leading people to salvation. People or the enemy's work is overthrown. And this is what the Father wants to do through you. He's called you out of darkness to use you to fill the earth with light. And I believe that God has called some of you, he's called all of us, but he's calling some of you specifically to be light bearers into your place of work, to be missionaries in your industry sector. He's also raising some of you up to become missionaries into other areas like education. God knows we need light in our education system. God wants some of you to go into government. If you hadn't watched the news lately, we need light in our government. There, there are many areas of our culture, their arts and entertainment are in desperate need of bearers of light to help shift the environment, the atmosphere in those sectors. The enemy for far too long has had a foothold, a stronghold in those places that help really steer the whole culture as a whole in our nation and around the world. God's raising some of you up to bring light into those areas. God is interested in every aspect of our culture and in our lives. This is why it says don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. God wants to transform you so then he can use you to transform this world. But some of you still, he's calling to an even higher surrender than simply being light in your place of work. He's calling you to a life fully devoted to mission work for the kingdom. Some of you, he's calling it to be ministers, church leaders, and even missionaries to foreign countries. He's calling you. When it comes to walking in God's power and doing the miraculous, watching God work and seeing his presence impact people all around the world, it sounds so amazing. We read the stories in the Bible, see the amazing things God has done. I mean, just imagine... You know, there's stories, I think it's Elisha in the Old Testament. He's walking along, and these kids come out and start making fun of him for his bald head. And he rebukes them, and these bears come out of the woods and eat him alive. I mean, I mean that's hilarious. I mean, I mean, it's tragic, but it's funny. You know, just like, oh, yeah, watch this. Giant eagle swoops down. Rah! You know, he's like, yeah, oh, you don't be talking back now, you know. Just imagine some of the things. Doing these things sounds so cool. But we don't often think about the cost, the cost of following the Lord, the cost of being able to walk in his power, to being the hands and feet of Jesus, to experience his presence and unleash his power in any given situation. Matthew 10, verse 39, Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life, you're going to find it. Jesus is not calling on every person to die. We're not passing out Kool-Aid and waiting for the aliens to land. Right? He's not calling on every person to die. He is calling on every person to die to themselves. To die to yourself. The things preventing you from giving yourself wholeheartedly to Christ are the very things he wants you to sacrifice. There is one thing that is stifling the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. There is one thing that is stifling the power of the Spirit in the life of believers everywhere, and that thing is fear. Fear. Paul wrote to Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear. But if you look at the church today, you look at Christians today, we are riddled with fear. Fear. 
everywhere. We're afraid. We're filled with anxiety. We, we, if you were to take a poll as to why people hesitate on surrendering their lives to Jesus, surrendering their lives to serve the Lord, and I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm talking about giving their lives full submission to missionary work, whether it's on Main Street or on a mission field. We would discover the reason why is fear. The reason why miracles and the stories of God's power being unleashed throughout the world and in our midst, the reason why that is diminished since the days of the apostles, except for some pockets of revival in our history, is ultimately because the enemy's been able to intimidate the body of Christ to be held down in fear rather than walk in the boldness of our faith. Fear is crippling the church. We're so afraid of what people will think. We're so afraid of how we might look. We're so afraid of being rejected. We just can't find the courage to go for it. We can't find the courage to see miracles happen. And so what? We let divine appointment after divine appointment after divine appointment slip on by. And then we wonder why the world continues as it does on the path to destruction. We think it would be awesome to see miracles, but then... We lack the courage to go after the miraculous because the enemy has intimidated us into subjection. There's a famous story in the Bible, a miracle of Jesus that, that just so hits, I think, where we are in the life of the church, not just here but corporately in our modern time. And it's called the feeding of the 5,000. You guys know about the feeding of the 5,000? Raise your hand if you've heard about the feeding of the 5,000. All right. I didn't think we'd need to read all that, but I'll get sum it up in case you... You, you haven't heard about it. Jesus is teaching all day. Back then, they started from the morning and went all the way to the nighttime. Jesus was long-winded. You think I'm long-winded? Wait till heaven. I don't even think you get bathroom breaks in heaven. So Jesus is long-winded. He went all day, and his disciples were like, you know, Master, we've been here all day. It's getting dark. People haven't eaten. That's, that's like code for we're really hungry. Please land the plane, you know. And, and they tried to pass it off on the other people. So they're like, they're hungry. Send them away because they're going to run out of time. They're not going to be able to find food. And, and, and Jesus turned to them and said, you give them something to eat. And they're like, we don't have enough money to pay for all this. And uh, so he's like, well, give me what you have. And so they give Jesus what they had. He blessed it, and then he passed the food out. Everyone was fed. Everyone was amazed. And then that night, Jesus goes off alone into the, um, the hills, as was his custom, and he sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. He said, I'll meet you over there on the other side in the morning. And they're like, okay, we don't know how you're going to get there, but you're Jesus. Okay, we'll just go. So they go off, and in the middle of the night, a storm hits, and it's a raging storm, and the disciples are rowing for their lives. It says at about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus from the hills sees them struggling, and so he goes off walking on the water. And uh, as they're struggling, the, the, the disciples are, are, you know, fearing for their lives. They see this figure walking on the water, and I just can put myself in that, in that place. Like, like John's like, even before they see Jesus coming on the water, John's like, Peter, this is going bad. I don't know if we're going to make it. You know, what are we, we going to do, Peter? you got to tell us you're the leader of this thing. Come on, we're, we're rowing for our lives. And then here comes Jesus, and then John's voice goes, I was like, Peter, I didn't think my voice could get any higher, but there's something out here you got to take a look at. You know, just like, I mean, think about it. What would you think, right? Have you, like, if you've been in a kayak, rowing on calm water is a workout. When the waves hit, that's, that's really tough. 
my wife and I, we went up to the UP and we were on a kayak trip and there's some choppy waves and I kayaked, I paddled the whole way and man, I was exhausted. I can't imagine being in rough water where you're in a boat where 12 guys were trying to row together. That had to have been just tiring. Then to have the waves and then to see Jesus or some figure walk in the water, they probably thought it was the Grim Reaper coming. They're like, well, we knew we were dead. I guess here he comes, you know. They were just done for it. But Jesus says, be of no fear. Have courage. Don't be afraid. And the scripture says when Jesus got in the boat, the storm calmed down instantly. You see, it doesn't matter what storm you're going through. When you invite Jesus into your boat, he has an interesting way of making peace come. He has a powerful way of changing the atmosphere in whatever situation you find yourself in. But then the next day, they, uh, they get to shore and they're doing their thing. The people that Jesus fed wake up and they're like, man, Jesus is gone. The disciples have gone. They took the only boat. You know, how are, how are we going to follow them around? Because these people follow Jesus everywhere. The, these boats landed from the other side. I don't, they might have been fishing boats or cargo ships. We don't know. But it says the, the several boats came from Tiberias and uh, they were able to follow Jesus. In John chapter 6, verses 22 through 29, the story, which I haven't paid much attention to, Growing up just kind of came to life in this message. So we're going to read what happens after the storm. It says, The next day the crowd had stayed on the far shore, saw the disciples had taken the only boat, realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there. They got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? This kind of just stuck out to me. I didn't really like pay much attention to this passage before, but if you think about the story, what did they just witness Jesus do? He fed the 5,000, the upwards of 20,000 people, they say, if you add in all the women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish. So here, they're saying, we want to do God's works too. And Jesus is saying, you know, you, you can do this. And I'm thinking, what were they thinking? I mean, if all I had to do was buy one loaf of Sarah Lee, bless it, and I could fill a semi-truck, I could save some money. Like, I got six kids. That's a lot of food. You know, they, they like to eat. If I could just bless it and do these things, how cool would that be, right? I mean, just think about the stuff Jesus did. And a buddy of mine just caught some walleye ice fishing. If I could bless that, we could have a fish fry every day and not just wait for Fridays. It could, it could be a great thing. So this has to be what's going on in their mind. Yeah, it would be cool to be able to do that stuff too. We want to do the supernatural works. They were saying, we, we know Jesus prophesies. Yeah, that'd be cool. Jesus casts out devils. That'd be cool. He heals the sick. That'd be great too. We want to walk in the power of God. Then they asked Jesus this question. How do we do that? How can we do this too? Give us the anointing that you have so we can do this too. So though I believe God does anoint people for special ministry, there, there are niche areas that people serve in. I believe that the body of Christ is filled with many people with many gifts. We need them all to be healthy. 
The Bible also says there is not any one particular gift that's off limits for any believer. You just have to go after it. You have to seek after it diligently. And the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. They're available to every believer at any time if we desire it. These people thought they would be cool. It'd be cool to do the miracles. And we know the miracles, Jesus said, confirm the message of Christ. Christ reveals the Father's love. It'd be awesome to have the multitude of people, have everyone walking in spiritual gifts, to be walking in God's power. I mean, think about it. How cool would it be for that whole multitude to be empowered by God to do those miracles? I mean, it would just be a movement unlike anything else. It'd be unstoppable. But Jesus says something here that grabbed me this week. Because I think all of us would think, man, it'd be awesome to do those, those miracles. But here's what Jesus says, because he revealed that their interest really wasn't in the power of God. In verse 26 of John chapter 6, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. See, miracles, every time God intervenes in a situation, miracles mean something. Miracles mean something, whether it's a healing, a word of knowledge, a demon being cast out, deliverance, whatever it is, miracles mean something. And he's revealing to this group of people, this multitude, this very deep truth, that these people missed the point of the feeding of the 5,000. They missed the point. It wasn't just to feed their bellies. You see, the vast majority of people in the crowd only wanted to follow Jesus, he said it right here, because of what they got out of it. They only wanted to follow the Lord because of what they got out of it. Jesus fed their belly. They were more interested in having their flesh satisfied than they were glorifying God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I would dare to say for the vast majority of Christians today in our culture and in our time, many only follow Jesus because of what they get out of it. Not to return the glory to the one who saved them from their sins. This church sings my song this church is contemporary. This church does it the way I want. This church has all the latest and greatest decorations. This church does communion when I want it. This church teaches out of the King James Bible. Or this one does the NLT. This, this one has the way I want it. We have this buffet culture when it comes to the church in our day. And I would dare to say that people aren't really following Jesus because of Jesus. They're following Jesus because of what he can do for them. We're only interested in what Jesus can do for me. We will even use the argument, you've probably either have heard it or have maybe even said it yourself, whenever people uh, want to find a new church to worship at, or whenever we're talking about ministry, like serving in the kids' ministry, we'll, we'll say things like, oh, I can't miss church because I, I need to go to the main service so I can be what? Fed. Or this one no longer does it for me, so I'm going to go to the next church and see if I can get fed there. Our culture is missing the point. The people of God are missing the point. You see, our culture and the church has made all of this about satisfying our flesh. So when Jesus gets boring, we move on to something or somewhere else. They follow Jesus because of what he did to satisfy a temporary need. And the fickleness of this generation of believers 
The reason why we don't serve, the reason why we don't surrender, the reason why we don't go for it is due to appetite. It's our appetite. They thought a supernatural life would be cool. We think a supernatural life would be cool. But their appetite kept them eating from a different table. And I would say so does ours. When our appetite is about feeding our flesh and not glorifying God. John 4.32, Jesus said, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. John 4.34, Jesus explains, my nourishment comes from what? Doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Doing the will of God. There's a nourishment. There's a feeding that can happen to your soul. Don't get me wrong. Our worship services, small groups, serving in different areas of ministry, these are vital parts of spiritual growth, but that is milk compared to the meat God has prepared at the Lord's table. God is waiting, is preparing a meal for you so that it so satisfies. This meal that, that God has prepared for you in doing his work will so satisfy your soul that it will alter the course of your life. This meal that God has prepared for his children, it will change the reason why you wake up in the morning. It will change it. Jesus said in verse 26, the reason why you're interested in me is in earthly food only. It's because you don't understand the miracles and the signs. What I believe he's getting at is that if you understood the miracles and signs, you would recognize that the kingdom of God has come among you, that heaven has come to earth. There's a reality that we miss because our appetite is invested in something else and not in the kingdom. Jesus said if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, everything you need will be added to you. Everything you're looking for, you will find if kingdom comes first. See, the reality of heaven is future, yes. When we die, we'll go to heaven. But Jesus reveals that we can experience heaven in the here and now. He said, pray, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a future tense. That is the here and now. When God does a miracle, when a sign is released, it's to reveal that heaven has come to earth. When he commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach, he said, cast out devils, heal the sick, and proclaim the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is here in the here and now, and God is inviting you to participate in the kingdom. It's an open invitation. This is why you were created. The kingdom is happening right before our very eyes. The miracles and signs, the signs and the wonders point to the reality that the kingdom is here. And God's inviting you into the original blessing to unleash the original purpose, to bring about the original goal of filling the earth with his glory. But many of us are like the people who watched what Jesus did. They wanted the power too. But what they really wanted was to satisfy their flesh. See, religion satisfies the flesh because it makes us feel like we've arrived spiritually. It feeds our pride, and when we feel prideful, we feel good about ourselves. It makes us feel better than other people who haven't arrived in the, to the same spiritual place that we've arrived. But the lie is exposed because even though we feel more spiritual than others, we also never feel like God's worthy or we're worthy of God's love and we're left to struggle under guilt and shame. Religion is such a lie. It's relationship, it's intimacy with God that sets people free, free to be who God has created you to be, to walk 
in the power that God has purposed for your life to bring his purposes to fruition. It's relationship, it's intimacy, it's connection with God that will release his power through your life to bring heaven to earth. You see, you can be all about Jesus, but be all about Jesus for the wrong reasons. You can be all about Jesus, be be all about Jesus for the wrong reasons. Don't miss the meaning of the signs and the miracles. It's not to satisfy your flesh. He doesn't do a miracle just to give you a healing. He doesn't give you a word just to give you direction on your life. No, it's an invitation to something greater. It's not to satisfy your flesh. It's an invitation to something more. The power to do miracles is available to all. And right here in this story, as we see this conversation unfold, they get this glimpse that Jesus is inviting them into something more. They ask, God, how can we do these miracles too? How can we do what you're telling us is available? And Jesus gives them the answer to this question. How can we walk in the power of God? How can we do the same things that you're doing? Jesus tells them in John 6, 29. It's so profound, but yet so simple. Jesus answers their question. This is the only work God wants from you. Read it with me. Believe in the one who he has sent. God, we want to do these miracles too. Tell us how. Okay. Believe in the one who he has sent. See, it seems so simple, so good to be true. Just believe. And many of us will be like, well, I believe, and I've never experienced anything like this. But see, you have to understand a few things with this response. You see, these people were used to religion telling them they had to perform so many tasks. They had to do so many sacrifices. They had to perform to receive favor with God for God to favor them or bless them. For God to like them enough to answer a prayer, they had to go through all these rules and regulations of the Mosaic law for them to be worthy. But here Jesus, he destroys the bondage of religion by just encouraging them with this truth. By making or walking in the presence and power of God, so simple in his answer, he says, you want to know how to do miracles? Then just simply believe. Believe. It's not in religious works. It's not in sacrifice. Simply believe. Believe, And I would say to hear you here today, the answer is true for you. If you want to walk in the power of God, then simply believe. In John 14, 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who what? Believes in me. What's that word? Will. Do the same works I've done and even greater because I'm going to be with the Father. He who believes will do. This is not a maybe or I can, or a get around to it. It says, anyone who believes will do the same works I've done. What we get confused is that belief and hope are two different things. There's a difference between belief and hope. You know, when you say, I hope so, that's a common thing. What we're saying is, I hope this is true, but we're also giving room for it to be false. We're giving ourselves an out. When we say, I hope this to be the case, I hope we're saying, yes, I believe it, kind of, but just in case I'm wrong, then I am giving it an out. There's a difference between hope and belief. Believing something is true implies total confidence to the point that it influences your life and how you think and how you behave. Hoping gives an out, but belief is complete confidence and it influences your life. If you really believe what you say you believe, it'll affect the way you live. This is why Jesus said those who believe will do the same works. Because they believe it, it affects the way they think 
in the way they believe. If you're a child of God and you know what your purpose is, you'll know the power and authority you carry. You'll know the presence of God that's available for you and your life that can be unleashed in the lives of other people. You'll know the power you have to change the atmosphere in every situation. If you believe in the one he has sent, your life will be all about the one whom he has sent. You see, we don't have ignorance issues when it comes to walking in the power of God. We don't have weakness issues when it comes to walking in the power. We have believe issues. Do we really believe? So why do you think our enemy works so hard at slinging fear? Why does he work so hard at intimidating the body of Christ? Why does he work so hard in filling the church with fear? Well, the answer is actually found in the story within the story. See, during the storm in the night, prior to this conversation Jesus is having with the people, something happens on the water. The disciples see the ghosts, and they're freaking out. Jesus calls out to them. He says, don't be afraid. Peter rises up, and he says, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come out on the water. And in Matthew 14, 29 through 31, Jesus says this. He says, yes, come, Jesus said. Verse 29, yes, come. So what's Peter do? He goes over the side of the boat and walks on the water toward Jesus. You see, Peter believed. Therefore, he responded to the Lord's command to come. He believed, and then he responded. And what happened? Peter did the same thing that Jesus was doing. Jesus said, those who believe will do the same works. Jesus or Peter believed and did the same works. He's walking on the water. But then something takes Peter's eyes off of Jesus. Look at verse 30. It says, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. See, it wasn't until Peter felt fear that the power stopped flowing and he began to sink. It wasn't until he was afraid that he began to sink. And look at verse 31. So Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. He says, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? You see, it was not the fact that Peter looked at the waves that caused him to sink. He was already in the storm. They were struggling all night amongst the wind and the waves. It wasn't a calm water. He's out on the water, and then the storm hit. This was something that was going on the entire time. Peter's out in the water amongst it all, but something got his attention to focus on the wind and the waves. Something caused him to focus, and in a matter of seconds, it got him to believe that the wind and the waves were a greater threat than the power of Jesus to intervene in the situation. Something got him to believe in the circumstance over and above the power of his God. And Jesus asked a simple question. He said, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? The reason I believe Peter began to sink is because the enemy got him to focus on his own inadequacy in the midst of the storm. Rather than trusting the power of the one who was with him, he focused on his own weakness, his own inadequacy, and fear began to creep up in his heart. Why did you doubt me, Jesus asked Peter. And he's saying the same thing to the church today. Why do we doubt him? Why do we doubt him? Why do we doubt him when it comes to breakthrough? Why do we doubt him when it comes to healing? 
Why do we doubt him when it comes to the things we pray for and are searching for? Why do we let the enemy so intimidate us with things that are nowhere comparable to the greatness of our God? Why do we let doubt fill our minds? Why do we doubt the faithfulness of God and his character when we know he is faithful? He's never failed. Why? It's because the enemy has gotten us to believe the lies deep in our heart that open the doorway for fear. Intimidation is a weapon of fear. The enemy uses to keep us powerless. You know, we give Peter a lot of flack sometimes for sinking, but the reality is, and we've heard it before, he was the only one that got out of the boat. He was the only one that got out of the boat. Though he had fear, though he began to sink, he was the only one that got out of the boat. There are so few believers who are even willing to get out of the boat and try. They were filled with fear beyond even Peter. They didn't even try to step over the edge. There are so few believers who are willing to go for it because they're afraid of sinking. They're believers that are afraid to pray out loud knowing that life and death are in the power of the tongue, but yet they keep that power clenched up because they're afraid of what other people might think about how they pray to God. There's so much fear that is killing belief because we're afraid of sinking because we honestly believe if we step out in faith, Jesus won't be there to catch us when we fall. But we see in Peter's life that Jesus was there the whole time. And he sank because of faith or doubt. Intimidation kills belief. But the opposite is also true. When in the face of intimidation, if we choose to believe, belief trumps intimidation every time. Because it leads us beyond fear and into the power of God. The question I have for you, church, is what is your appetite? What are you hungry for? Are you hungry for what God can do for you? Are you hungry for the greater things and the purpose that he has for your life? What's stifling your faith? What's causing fear? What's in the way of God unleashing his presence in your life? Do you want an overcoming life? Do you want a powerful life? Do you want to walk in the power of God? Are you ready for the something more that he has planned and purposed for every believer? Are you ready to rise up in power and authority and take his light to the ends of the earth, taking back the strongholds that the enemy has held this world captive for, for so many years? Are you ready to break down the strongholds in your own life? And the answer is simply believe in the one he has sent. And allow that belief to turn the course of your life, to get you focused off of clinging to your life and losing it for the sake of the gospel. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment as we go into a time of prayer. It is my heart's belief, it is my fervent belief that God wants to so radically touch the people in this room, that he so radically wants to fill the believers in this city that revival begins to break out and that we are so filled with the presence and power of God that it is undeniable that God is in this place, that it's undeniable that there is a God in heaven, that the people in this city desperately need the people of God 
to believe in their hearts that Jesus is who he said he is, that he will do what he said he will do, that the Spirit of God is greater than anything that we can come across or come against, to fight fear with faith, to bring heaven to earth in this community. There's a young man I met at Walmart this week. He had tattoos all over his body and just a conversation with him. He was very spiritual. He believed in that there's no right way and that he thought in, believed in reincarnation, that he's going to come back as a tree. But I could tell that he was hungry to find out the truth. He wanted to know. He just had been led astray. My heart is, is that the people of God would so rise up that I don't have to feel responsible for being the one to encounter him, that I know that the people of God are so walking in power that any moment he's going to encounter someone who would open the doorway of salvation. If you're here today and you're ready for something more, you're ready to take the next step, you're tired of living for yourself, you're tired of dwelling on your problems, you're tired of the enemy robbing you of the inheritance God has for you, then in just a moment when we stand to worship, I invite you to come forward. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 that when the disciples prayed, the Holy Spirit descended, they were filled with boldness, and they went out and proclaimed the righteous and good things of God with boldness. They proclaimed the gospel without fear. That's what I believe is the inheritance of the children of God. God wants to so touch your life to mark you that there is nothing that will stop you from doing what God's called you to do. There's nothing, no awkward situation that will prevent you from giving a word of knowledge to somebody. There's no tension or no weirdness that would get in the way of you laying your hands on the sick and praying for their healing. That nothing would stand in the way of God doing a work in this church and through us in this community. If you're ready for something more, if you're ready to step out from the boat of comfort and see what God can do out on the water. And as we stand, you come forward. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God. You're far away. You've got some sin in your life. You've got some things that just make you feel guilty and ashamed. I invite you to come down and let's pray and let me introduce you to the love of God. As you invite Jesus into your life, he's gonna so radically transform you, fill you with hope, Having your sins forgiven is only the beginning. Father, I just thank you for this time and for the people here in this room. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're about to do. God, give us the courage, the power, the hunger to walk in your power. God, let faith and hope arise in our hearts. God, let us not be content with same old, same old religious Christianity. God, give us a hunger to be who you created us to be to fulfill the purpose you created us to fulfill. And this we ask in Jesus' name.